Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Got a special guest coming up for you today. I hope you can stay with us. We're going to do communion and uh, learn a little bit about who is this gentleman across the table from me this morning, Dr. Don Hargrave, who spent four years as a teacher, which I'm sure shaped his outlook quite well, before then moving into ministry of all sorts. And we'll find out what that looked like throughout the course of this morning. First of all, let me just say thank you so much, Don, for uh, coming in and being part of Sunday Morning Together. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you. Now, teaching, actually, let's just start there. What what do you reckon you learned the most from being a teacher? Oh, spare me. My first <laughs> class, I had forty six kids of grade fives in wow. migrant areas. So, forty six uh, in one classroom. Yeah, that's right. How'd you cope? Fine. Okay. I loved them, and I was firm. Yep. Um, and the kids knew that I loved them. Yep. And um, yeah, it was a. Some of them went on to Christian service, so it was quite an amazing chapter. Actually. Where where was that? At Acacia Ridge in Brisbane. Okay. On the south side. Oh, very good. So. That was a four-year stint. You've been doing well, two years in that school, and then um, I they sent me out west with ankle biters, grade two and grade three. Okay, <laughs> where, where is out west? How far? Oh, me and Dara, five hours west of Brisbane. Okay, if that's near oh, enough. Yeah, well, that, that, then, that's um, fairly country. Uh, oh yeah, but then uh, I'm really happier with kids who ask me hard questions and stuff, and so I actually applied to the department for high schools and got it in three weeks, which oh. was a big surprise to me. But yeah, okay. that put me in high schools for the next 18 months, which was invaluable in that my ministry would unfold primarily to high school kids. Mm. That was a significant role. But most of your time since then has been in ministry in different forms, if I understand. And I've, I've, I understand it as being both church planting and church repotting, shall That's the we word say. I like <laughs> to use. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just unpack that a little bit. Well, the church planting part was more when someone is expressing a desire be part of a movement. M- may I give you a quick story for background on mm. that? Yeah, please do. Um, I went through, after our four years of te- my four years of teaching, we went to Melbourne Bible Institute immediately after a wedding. And so my wife also had the benefit of Bible College, which was invaluable. Mm. But as a part of that, um, I... What's the word? I remember a particular day when the library was selling off secondhand books or books that were deteriorated to a fairly advanced stage. Right. And one was called New Testament Holiness by Thomas Cook. And uh, it was going for 10 cents, which was probably a dollar today in those days. And uh, it quite shaped my life because for the first time, I understood the difference between blameless and faultless. Right. I know I'll never be perfect. Yeah. But my motives can be okay. I can have a clean heart before God. And that's the message of the deeper life, holiness. Mm. And I had attended Keswick, Mount Tambourine type conventions, Katoomba, Belgrave Heights type conventions. And so I was plugged into that kind of priority. And then um, that became a significant part of my ministry with planting churches, a group that were seeking to go closer to God as mm. a congregation with a denomination that had that emphasis. Mm. But also my youth camps were very much uh, in that area. Do you think that's an issue a lot of people deal with I'm try, sure. trying to work through the blame or the shame or the exactly. guilt or whatever? That yeah. you know, I feel dirty because of my sin. How could God possibly ever forgive me? Or what somebody did to me, and I feel guilty about it, even if I might be the innocent victim. Yeah. And so clarifying that, really, it shaped my life in a major way. Mm. But I did a full science major right through high school. 
But I did discover that history is more fun than science <laughs> and when I was teaching. Well, oh, I don't know. We, did, we got some fun stuff in science when I was at school. Uh, but that's some, true, some of it but we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> well, the point is my style is to analyse what was happening at that time. Yeah. Why did that happen? What were the, Okay, the French Revolution, the parallels with their own day are very significant. Mm. The rise of pornography, the breakdown of marriage, a lot of that stuff was there between before the French Revolution. Mm. So I look at it and say, what can I learn from that? How can it help me shape our country now? Mm. So I, I enjoy that kind of learning from history. Well, if you learn from history, you're a smarter man than most. Because, uh, that's uh, true. I think one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. That's exactly true. Yeah. So that was a significant part of it. But I, I am, I guess, a people person, and I love the kids. And my, my years with youth were – well, I was recently, as two years ago, I was still involved in youth camps mm. and uh, consider it a privilege. Well, you, you're, uh, you're never too old to be part of being that's young. True. That's true. So to speak. So wonderful to have you here this morning, and I uh, look forward to communion together. That's coming a sure. little later on this morning. Dr. Don Hargrave is my guest and co-host on Sunday Morning Together Stay with us. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. And my guest and co-host today is Dr. Don Hardgrave. And he's a lover of history, as we're finding out this morning, and has actually learned some things from history. History. Tell me about the research you've done, Don, about John Wesley. Well, my I was raised in a Baptist church until Dad had a row with the minister and I ended up with a Methodist. <laughs> but God put me in circles of vision casters and that was significant. Mm. But again, with looking at history, what did that guy achieve? Because there's no doubt England was poised for a revolution the mm. same as the frogs had. And when I looked at it, why? What was the difference? And uh, that really shaped my own thrust toward encouraging people to make a full-on commitment of their lives to God and to be a part of a small group. Mm. Um, there is no question that Wesley's small groups were a major component of the way in which people, the community was shaped. When the radicals tried to urge, for example, in Bristol uh, that they should start rioting and so forth, Wesley worked with the early groups there and just said, we'll submit to the government, but we'll work the proper channels to make the changes we want to see happen. And mm. so democracy could emerge out of that as we've known it. Mm. It's fascinating. I mean, you hear names like John Wesley, and I just think about hymns and things like that, but uh, oh. there's a lot of backstories in there, oh, yeah. a lot to learn. Well, he was really the strategist. His brother Charles did most of the songs. Yes. Uh, over 7,000 of them. Yes, please. yeah, that's prolific. Track record. <laughs> yeah, prolific. But Wesley was the preacher and he was the organiser and he worked on these small groups. And also, again, and he also worked with less educated people so that they had a glow in their heart mm. and a reality that they'd found and a faith in an inspired Bible. Mm. He's very strong on that. Mm. So that was a key dynamic to the awakening. So what's the biggest take-home for us today from what you've learned from his life? Okay. Um, there's no question that we need small group life. Mm. And I look globally and wherever... We can identify it. Sometimes it's underground, but it's still there, small group life. Secondly, the fact that God loves to use ordinary people and who are fully committed to him. And he speaks through this remarkable book we call the Bible. Mm. Those would be the ones that pop straight yeah, in. No, that's head. really good. That's very good stuff, Don. Now, very soon uh, you get to lead us in communion. Mm -hmm. And I'm always fascinated. I ask this question sure. of every guest each week. But uh, how would you answer this? How, how can we best prepare our hearts for communion? 
The fundamental starting place is that Christianity is knowing God. It's having a relationship with God. And as such, I want to be sure that the relationship's in good shape. So I will be wanting to search my heart and saying, Father in heaven, is there some area in my life that has been displeasing to you? Is there something I'm ignoring? Is there someone I've hurt that I need to make it right? Is there someone who has hurt me and I need to be sure it's forgiven? Mm. So preparing my heart as I come. The manner in which we have communion doesn't bother me a whole bunch. I'm very aware that the Salvation Army don't have it at all. Well, I'm, more and more I'm told once a year. But regardless, um, coming to God with a clean heart, purity of heart is a scriptural model. Mm. And so I want to come with a clean heart. And then um, you've asked me to have a little three-minute. I'll offer a comment in the area of preparation that fits with that as well, if you would wish. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church where they had some problems <laughs> at the Lord's table. And one of the things that he said to them was, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. And I'd like to focus on the way in which that little phrase blends past, present and future. When we take the elements in a few moments, we are doing that in the present that is a moment in our journey. Whatever's happened yesterday, whatever's going to happen tomorrow, we've only got today. And in that moment that we take the elements, uh, we are reminded that Christianity is a day-to-day experience. We are walking with God each day in the light of his word. But it says that as we take the bread in the present, we proclaim the Lord's death, which of course took place in the past. And in fact, the cross was the focal point of world history. It may not be recognized by the secular authors, but that just means they've got lots to learn. But the truth is that on that day, when the Lord Jesus, as our great high priest, offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, at that time, and he died on the cross, he was making atonement for our sins. The, the word is at one meant when you put the three bits together. And so what's happening is that we are proclaiming that truth. And if I may say so, not just to each other, but to the witnesses of the angelic hosts, this is a moment when we proclaim our appreciation for that moment, the Lord's death. And uh, all of history comes together for that moment. But then beyond that, we proclaim it until he come. And I think one of the beautiful things for me is it's, we are proclaiming, we are taking the elements now in the present, looking back to the past, to our Lord's death, until he come in the future. And that's the basis of hope. And so that gives us the reality of the second coming to a day when there will be no more tears, no more suffering. There will be encouragement of uh, meeting people from our past. I think that's going to be so much fun. You know, <laughs> Fancy seeing you here. Um, but as well as that, um, I think I love music and I think the music will be one incredible plus with heaven. And I don't mean just harps. I mean choirs and all that goes with live music and uh, stunning scenery. I love the outback and, and mountain climbing and stuff. So the scenery will be there as God has made it. And I think we need to remember that beyond the grave, there is an adventure. This life is a preparation for what God is calling us to do. And uh, I sometimes say, think about the people who love you more than anyone else. Imagine being surrounded with people who love you that much. That's what heaven will be like. And we'll see Jesus. And so in the moment that we take the elements, we are remembering his past, the death and resurrection, 
and don't miss the resurrection, but we are proclaiming that until he come and we look forward to the second coming. So on that basis, let me invite you to uh, to take the bread. And uh, Lord, we do not presume to come to this your table, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your many great acts of mercy. We're not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs from under your table, but you are the same Lord who always delights in showing mercy. And so therefore grant us by faith to eat the bread and to drink the cup that we will remember and proclaim to the unseen witnesses and to others who may be with us the reality of our Lord's return. So we take the bread. And we eat it with thanksgiving. And we take the cup and drink it, remembering the enormous price that was paid for our freedom and offering the Lord Jesus our heartfelt gratitude and thanks. Lord, we do acknowledge how much it cost you and we are deeply grateful we know we could not deserve it but we can appreciate it and we can so live that others will also discover what you offer into our lives if we will enter into the adventure you have for us so lord thank you for the elements thank you for this moment thank you for the sense of anticipation of the great tomorrow of your return in Jesus' name, amen. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. But my guest and co-host this morning on Sunday morning together is Dr. Don Hargrave, and he's been in ministry for uh, many years. Uh, might be uh, a little older in years, but young at heart is what I'm hearing. Uh, Don, come across this morning, Don. So if we if we're brave enough here, can we go back to uh, where and when were you born? That's pretty predictable. Um, in Brisbane, um, just after World War Two, right? My dad was in the commandos in World War Two, mm-hmm. and uh, had a war injury that was there for the rest of his life. What do you and remember so, from from you know Brisbane and Australia at that time? As a well, <laughs> the Brisbane City Hall was the tallest building in town, right? And when I was in primary school, we got our way into the City Hall to get there when the City Hall clock went off at twelve noon, and we bang, 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 bang. So. Uh, it was very different. Um, it was one friend called it an overgrown country town. And yeah. There's some truth, I think, in that. Yeah. But I used to walk to school a mile or two, and um, we used to go around knocking doors, picking, getting bottle dr- for bottle drives as fundraise for the school. You wouldn't send a 12-year-old out doing that no, today. No, not so today. It was very much more of a Christianized society. Yes. Yes, there's been a lot of change over those years, yeah. I can I can imagine. What was your life like for you? What sort of family situation were you born um, into? My sister was two years younger than I, and um, it was a very happy thing. Well, given Dad's crook leg and, and all that was resulting from that. Oh, there's probably one detail you may be interested in. The doctor said, you'll never be able to play sport. He'd got an arthritis tip, and, and it was quite serious. Um, so get a hobby. And he chose um, conjuring, illusions, rabbits out of hats, that oh, sort right. of stuff. The magic tricks. Yes. And so uh, I, as a 10-year-old or 12-year-old, 1956, I was performing on, well, actually on the Melbourne Town Hall stage. Um, that was actually uh, during a magician's convention. I was one of the entertainers. <laughs> and um, two good things came out of it. One was I was drilled to articulate clearly. That was going to be invaluable in a lifetime of ministry that people could understand what I was saying. Mm. Uh, you know, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. No, you muttered it. Go back and protect us ten times until you get it right. Right. 
Secondly, and this may sound strange, but after performing in Melbourne City Hall stage, a month or two later I performed on the Brisbane City Hall stage and some of my mates were in the class, in the audience. What do you think they wanted to know in school on Monday morning? <laughs> How'd you do it? How'd you do the tricks? And what's the magician <laughs> never allowed to tell? Yeah, never allowed to tell how you did it. That's right. And that meant that loneliness was a significant part of my journey. Right. Right through until my mid to late teens, well, 16. I went to a high school camp um, and made a, a full-on, I'd made a child's decision at 10, which was very valid, still remember it, um, but at 16 at that camp, I made a total commitment and everything changed and including the friendship level. Mm. But God used those times of loneliness to refine my character, I guess, to let make me lean on him. When the day came that I became superintendent of Queensland and then nationally with the Wesleyan Methodist Church, at that time, again, I had to cope with the, the rejection that all leaders get when you make tough decisions. They were good decisions, but there was mm. a price. Yeah. can be lonely but, at the top sometimes. Oh, you better believe it. My mate used to say, it's waff to be a top dog. <laughs> so <laughs> and so like that. that was a part of what shaped who I am. But that camp, I felt God calling me to ministry, but I was too scared to tell anybody. It scared me. Mm. So I didn't say anything until six months later at a leadership training event, and the net was cast, and I thought, this is uh, – so I, I went forward. And then I did a training program and lay preaching so that when I got to Bible college four years later, four and a half years later, I'd actually preached 100 times. Right. Now, that had a huge plus in that I'd identified some things I wanted to learn – and I could draw from the trainers and the lecturers at the college. So that was good. Uh, we were happily married, off to Bible college, two years, back to Queensland, another three years, and then uh, launched into ministry. And that was the time when uh, the church planting opportunity opened up, and I basically was involved in 30-odd churches over the next 17 years. The Wesleyan Methodist, Nazarene, Baptist and Presbyterian churches, that's quite a, quite a mix there, Don. Well, it came out of the fact, that, well, first of all, God put me in the Wesleyans. And for 17 years, I was directly involved in planting churches. And then God put me in one on the south side of Brisbane. And I wanted to see whether I could grow a church focusing on making disciples rather than trying to be an evangelist because I don't have those gifts. Mm. Though when I'm at a camp or something and I can explain who Jesus is and what sin is and why repentance is so important, and I am passionate that there is a plan for every life. Mm. And if I may take a moment to say to the, view, the listeners, friends, whatever you do, don't miss the fact that there's a plan. And all of what has happened in your journey, the heavenly dad has a purpose of using it to shape your character to refine skills and to equip you for the task ahead. And I, that if there was one message I would scream to today's youth from the rooftops, it's there's a plan. Mm. Wrote a song about it, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, uh, but that's another subject. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to sing it. No, please don't. <laughs> um, but the point was that was the um, that thrust was a major part. And so what's going to do with a guy who doesn't see himself as an evangelist as such? Yes, it's part of preaching the word, but uh, that 10 years, we saw that church go from the high 90, mid-90s through to the 230s, so it's right. not rapid growth, but it was very healthy. That's good growth, though. Well, it included sending people out to mission state, et cetera, et cetera. There are flow-ons from that, and I look at the people of whom, most, many of whom I still know, who are still actively involved in the kingdom. The discipling paid off. Mm. Um, I squeezed in – oh, sorry, you were going to say well, something. Well, I was just going to go back to your youth just a little bit. Um, sure. I get this sense from what you said earlier that you had a, a real 
uh, a sense of where you were going to go, that you had leadership on, no on you, that you know you were destined to do something yes. for God. You just had to take steps in the right direction. Absolutely, yeah. It was Obedience was a key issue. And even when God allowed the door to close and a string of events made it clear that God wanted me to step back from leadership of that congregation in 2000, I then looked after a, a couple of churches, rebuilding and so forth. I won't waste time on detail, but... That meant I was also traveling with Creation Ministries. Mm. One of the things that I've realized is if you don't have confidence in the whole of the Bible, and if you're going to tell people, oh, well, the first chapter, well, we don't take that too seriously, don't expect the kids to take it seriously either. I believe every word of it is infallibly inspired, Mm. inerrant. That's Mm. where I stand. Mm. And so I then traveled for Creation Ministries, um, two or three trips around Queensland and one down through New South Wales and over to WA. Wherever the opportunities afforded, I was delighted to, to serve in that way. So that shaped, and that was the reason why I made contacts outside of my immediate circle. Um, had some good, lovely time with the Nazarene folk in a Brisbane church. And then uh, a friend of mine, I was lecturing in the college in North Queensland, and he said, oh, the Innisfail Baps hasn't had a pastor for three years. Will you pray about it? And God made it clear that we should go, and we had two very happy years serving there while I was lecturing in Brisbane. Um, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and commuting. Uh, well, what I did was I would I could fly up for a 10-day exercise, which would give me time with the youth, the two Friday nights, mm-hmm. which would give me the two Sundays, morning and evening, to pour myself into the troops, do pastoral visits and all that stuff. It was good value. And local folk uh, filled in the other time. So, and it more than doubled in those two years without a resident pastor. But they were lo- wonderful folk. Mm. I thank God and have dear, dear friends still in that church. Mm. And then other churches opened up subsequently. So you went from school, you went to Bible college. Yes. Already quite experienced, really. A hundred yeah. sermons, you said, you'd already done by the, yep, by the time true. you got there. What do you reflect on from that time at Bible College? Because you moved cities as well. From yes, we did. Born in Brisbane, you moved to Melbourne for a couple of years. Two years and back to Brisbane for three. I won a Commonwealth scholarship to finish my degree. Right. Um, I guess it, early on I was thrilled with the impact or the privilege of a passionate communication of relevant truth and watching lives change um, pour yourself into a bunch of kids and notice the change. Mm. Um, kids would come home from high school camp and their parents would ring me up <laughs> and say, what did you do? Their room is tidy. I can see the floor. <laughs> um, those kind of light and shade moments were significant, watching kids find a purpose for their direction. Yeah. One unforgettable Sunday, I was invited to preach in New South Wales and uh, remember it rather vividly. The lady was obviously knew some of the locals, and at the close of the service, I'd watched, as, and I watched my audience quite closely, as I watched, she sort of even smiled about halfway through the sermon at some of my sad humour, <laughs> and by the end, she was participating, and she came to me afterwards, and she said, um, I want to thank you for your message this morning, and I sort of said, oh, that's kind of you. Oh, she said, no, no, this is significant, you just saved my life. I said, oh. She said, uh, yesterday I gave away all of my property to other people, including my car, Signed the documents, everything. She said, I was on my way to commit suicide. Wow. And she said, I decided to give God one more go. (laughs) And she said, the truth from the scriptures that you shared today has touched my heart and I'm picking up the reins and starting again. Wow. I just consider that an enormous privilege. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it, but I'm privileged for the privilege of the ministry. It just goes to show, I mean, it's the word of God is where the the power is. We just need to be faithful 
you had no idea when you were standing oh, there no. where she no. was at. No. Incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. 20,000 yes. young people, you were just telling me while the song was on there, yes. that you have you know have been under teenagers, ministry. Teenagers, total teenagers. Who not all in the camps, one room at the one time. Not, no. <laughs> no, I was camp leader from not, in 1968, was the first one, and as recently as 19, 2019, 20. Okay. I was speaker still, so I love the kids. It's an enormous privilege. How do the how do the kids react to you? Because you know you're a big kid, maybe, but they, do they think, "Oh, who's this old guy?" You know. Um, I think the real key is a twofold thing. One of them is I like to be a transparent individual. What you see is what you get, hmm. and I think that's where the holiness message is significant. If I've confessed, known sin, and forsaken it, and if I've forgiven the hurts of the journey, and I don't pray for the people where there were hurts, God sort them out, I pray God bless them, but I don't make it a regular part of my praying, so that what you see is what you get. I love them. I also set out to make the studies at the camp very, I I worked on a most unusual camp model. I developed it from a teaching background where the kids are in teams where they'll meet other kids from other churches. Mm -hmm. Then they will have team time every morning before brekkie. And one of the questions the team leader, whom I've trained ahead, would ask is, what did God say to you last night from Pastor Don? Mm. That guarantees that they, first of all, have to listen tonight because they, <laughs> they're going to get asked up. the next morning. Yep. Secondly, they hear that message restated by their peers in their own lingo. And thirdly, the team leader can pick it up if there's somebody who didn't get something straight. Yeah. So there's team time. Then after brekkie or sometime during the day, there'll be discussion in groups and I'll let them do a feedback talk, to, not unlike what you're doing. And then in the evening, there's a message where we have suitable music. And uh, so those camps were really, really very powerful in the lives of the kids and uh, just an enormous privilege. What's your favorite thing about young people? Oh, spare me. I guess I'm tempted to say their sense of optimism and their dream for the tomorrow. Yeah. Though I am increasingly distressed at the number of kids who don't dream for tomorrow. Because I believe God wants them to, mm. and I'd offer to any young'uns who might be listening, whatever you do, don't miss the fact that God chose your parents. He knew whom you would have as school teachers. He knew what peers you would have in your class and group. He knew how many siblings you would have, brothers, sisters, whether they were <laughs> helpful or not. He knew what town you would be growing up in. He knew what you'd be good at and what you would not be good at. Um, he chose your agenda. Whatever you do, don't miss that. Some of the young'uns are in strife because they don't realize God's already made that decision. They don't need to get hung up in that area. But then beyond that, he's got a destiny for every life. And when we get to the end, I look back now at this end of my journey. Who knows how long I've got? But I look well, back a little with while, enor- yeah, I hope so. yeah. but with enormous gratitude that God was very much at work in all of those different chapters. When I was a kid, when I was in the Boy Scouts, loved the bush so I could take kids bush camping. Um, yeah, just in so many different things that happened along the way. Um, I am enormously grateful to God. He has been very, very faithful, mm. far beyond my des- deserving. Mm. I, I get the uh, the impression that you sort of get reinvigorated hanging around young people. I do. Yeah, <laughs> I love the kids. That's <laughs> uh, so good. And, and youth camps, thank you so much for doing that too because mm. I know even myself, whilst I haven't been to one that you've run or, sure. or been at, there's huge power in youth yes. camps in bringing young people together, and God does great yes. stuff in, this, yes. in that setting. I was also tough when it came to discipline. Um, holding hands was the limit, 
at a mixed camp when you've got 180 screaming teenagers. Mm. And uh, one of them came to me and said, why can't we have hugs and kisses and stuff? I said, you'll make such an idiot of yourself, you won't come back next year. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's the limit that we set. And the kids honoured it. And they brought their mates because the first camp was only a dozen. And within yeah. three years, we were up to 180, and that's yeah, all well. the campsite would hold. Yeah. And then we started one in North Queensland and one in New South Wales. Yeah, fantastic. My guest is Dr. Don Hargrave. And Don, we're just talking about youth camps and different things that you've done. And I know you've got some young'uns in your life as well. Three grandkids, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. How do you feel as a granddad? Oh, that's a great privilege. I love to tell them stories. But um, they're still all primary school or preschool. Okay. Yeah, so. so there wouldn't be grandchildren unless, of course, you had children, unless, of course, you had a lovely wife. Oh, I'm Del- happily So h- how how did you meet? Um when I was school teaching, I was transferred to Mirraborough as the last year of my teaching. Mm-hmm. And um, I rocked up on the first, I informed the pastor I was coming and wanting to be a part of youth and so forth on the first night. So how old were you then? Oh, about 24. Right. Uh, yeah, that'll be close. Um, and uh, rocked up at uh, the youth group and yeah, I'm surrounded by screaming teenagers and I did a little reconnoiter of the property and noticed a young lady looking after the girls' group. <laughs> and uh, thought became, she looks all right. That became a friendship several months later, and yep. we were married at the end of that year. And I do not encourage people to have long engagements in this sex-crazy world. You do need to get to know one another and one another's families, but working in the same church over that year worked very well. Mm. And so I popped the question in September, and we were happily hitched in January wow. and went on to Bible College from there. Um, and she's an angel. Mm. Um, my dear mother was worried that uh, Delcy was not an out-front person. But in fact, Delcy was the right person in God's providence for the re- role God had for me. The books that I've written, uh, she has been the one who's done all the hard work, um, checking the, the group and the punctuation and, yep. very much. Yep. And also just the wise head to listen to her perspective. And um, <laughs> this chapter's a bit heavy on. Do you think you should lighten that up? <laughs> so that sort of thing. So I, I'm just very grateful to God for a godly wife. Yeah. 53 years of marriage. Yep. What, would you, what advice would you give to someone who's just got married this weekend? Oh, spare me. Times together for devotional, transparency, um, that's the first two thoughts that come to my mind, mm. being no secrets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just um, – and I, when I turned 65, I decided that I would have morning and afternoon tea with my wife. She had allowed me to travel in my superintending days. She had allowed me to be off with all these youth camps and stuff. So I wanted to be sure that I was investing time with her, just enjoying her friendship mm. uh, as a part of the last 20 mm. years. That's brilliant. Now, you mentioned in there a couple of books that you've written. Oh, yes. Tell me about that. There, as I understand, discipleship yes. is, yes. is um, a well, large the, focus. The thrust of the Wesleyan Methodist Church is the deeper life, being fully committed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to understand what that meant. How did it fit within the charismatic stream of Christianity? How did it fit within the Keswick Tambourine Belgrave Heights type movement. Um, how do I understand that? What does it mean? How do I work with the sin issue in my life? How can I reach a point in my journey where I'm walking obediently before the Lord? And so uh, working that through. And I I started it in 1978 and I just had a folder in my filing cabinet. And any time I'd see a good story or something, I'd toss it in the folder. Right. And then in 2017, I felt God very definitely lay on my heart. 
I want that book. And so I worked at it, and within 12, 18 months, it was published, and uh, it's been very well received, um, including Professor Stuart Piggin, who's one of the top Anglican scholars in Australia. Yes. I uh, appreciated his kind remarks, plus various people have popped me a little note to say that and I enjoyed does it, it. does it say on the front cover, 40 years in the making? No, no, no. <laughs> the title is You Can Be a Radiant Character. You Can Be a Radiant Character. That's the title. Right. The second one was a rewrite of a book I put together in the late 1980s called um, You Can Discover God's Will. And I upgraded that in the light of some more input from teenagers, particularly. Mm. Mm. Um, The third one was called You Can Make an Impact. And those were the things that I learned from the hard, in in the front line, if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, Front line of ministry. Absolutely. Um, How to have a board and why not to have board members who'd been there for 25 years, give give them a three-year maximum term of office. Some of those insights. Yes. I had a chapter on what God is like. Is your God too small? Yes. Um, One on forgiveness because we need to and also some insights on how to get your prayers answered. But it was an unusual book in another respect. Every chapter is standalone. So if I'm running a weekend retreat, I can supply the copies to all presidents. I want you to read chapter three. Oh, you can read one or two if you want it, but chapter three is on forgiveness. We're going to go there tomorrow. Uh, that was a major issue, incidentally, with youth camps, was uh, the issue of helping the kids forgive mm. and release the past. Mm. And then the last one was you can be a disciple maker. And um, quick story, I started to notice with churches God had let me plant that there were some games where people were playing control games. And I thought, am I really discipling these people? So I thought, how do I know if I'm making disciples if I've never defined what it is? And so I worked on a definition of a disciple. I included that in my doctoral studies when I had the interview with the professors around the table. And uh, every church that I know of that has followed that material has seen significant growth. Mm. Uh, You can be a disciple maker. Is it a snappy definition that you can give us now? Uh, Yeah, why not? Um, uh, A disciple knows about God. Then he needs to get to know God and have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to know God's people. God's intention is that we'd have friends around us, which we call fellow Christians. Mm. And then we'll get to know ourselves in the safety of the local church. And then we'll get to know God's ways, watching other believers. But as well as running left to right across the top of the chart, they drop top to bottom. If you know about God, you will worship him. If you know him as your friend, you'll introduce others. We call that evangelism. If you uh, are meaningfully involved in a local church, you'll serve in a local church. If you know yourself, you'll be a steward of the whole of life. If you know his ways, you'll live God's ways, and that is the radiant character, the radiant life. Mm, And God has anointed it. I was thrilled because when I went to Switzerland, I was with a class with 12, 15 different nationalities from all over the world, and they were saying, can we translate this into our language because this is answering, scratching where we're itching. Mm. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. And this is Vision Christian Radio, Sunday morning together. You've got Phil here this morning, and if you've just tuned in, well, you've joined us for uh, something good. Dr. Don Hardgrave is my guest this morning, and uh, we've given him a little challenge, and that is to knock us over with the best five-minute sermon that you'll hear this morning. You up for it, Don? Thank you. All right, it's over to you. Thank you. The theme I'd like to share with you is the sovereignty of God, that God is in complete control of his world. Nothing happens without his knowledge or permission. 
And so uh, Daniel chapter 6 and 26 brings me into the life of Daniel. We are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den and how the bad guys wanted to get rid of him. And uh, the king was so taken with Daniel that he was sorry that he'd ever made the decree. But God protected Daniel in the lion's den. And I find that incredibly powerful. But the king makes the comment, and I offer it to you from the New Living Translation, which is my favorite. He is the living God. He will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. And so as I look at the world we are living in today, theoretically a very, very different world from the one in which Daniel lived. And yet in another sense, there were bitter enemies then, and there are enemies of the gospel today. So I want to just identify some principles. First of all, for Daniel, he was relaying the foundation of the Jewish people in Babylon. It may have seemed like a total tragedy for him to be taken from the destruction of Jerusalem, or probably he went over in 605 in the first exile. There were three. But uh, whichever one, Ezekiel went in the second, uh, dates of 600 and, uh, 605, 800, no, 580, 94, and then 87. There were the three exiles. But he went in the first batch. Ezekiel went in the second. But the big thing was that... Um, he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were relaying the foundation of faith, the story of the fiery furnace. There were four in the fire. Uh, the fourth looked like a son of the Lord or son of God. And here's a little gem for you. Do you remember the only thing that was burned in the fire? It was the ropes. And a preacher shared with me, and I've never forgotten it, when we are obedient to the Father's will, the fires that other people light under us do not harm us. They set us free. It's a gem. Take it to the bank. <laughs> so I love the story of Daniel. But as I look at it in the light of the sovereignty of God, God was allowing him to be over there in Babylon and all of the things that happened in that regard. But I want to swing over now to Paul in jail because Paul wasn't being attacked anymore. He now had a Roman guard. His close advisor, Luke the doctor, was there while Paul was in jail in Caesarea. And it's just over the hill into Jerusalem on the other side, heading west. And so Luke would have a chance to have gone over and interviewed Mary and Elizabeth and the characters of the New Testament. And Luke was a doctor, natural guy, to be able to hear the story from uh, Elizabeth and Mary and so forth. But God was in that. Luke, Luke was getting the opportunity to get the data firsthand. But then when Paul ends up in Rome, again, seemingly a disaster, God was at work because it meant that he was able to write letters and those letters could be written, read um, for centuries, literally. So beyond that, I want to swing over to a couple of more recent ones, Eric Little. And uh, I love the story of his athletics in uh, the 24 Olympics in France. And the fact that he would not run on the Sabbath because he was committed and he ended up running the 440 instead of the 100 and I did athletics. And um, it makes a difference. It was a, a, a miracle for him to get a record time in that race. But he then went as a misho to China. One of the things he said to his sister was, uh, Jeannie, you've got to understand um, when God made me fast and he made me fast for a reason and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And I love the way he said that because I can speak of preaching and I can feel God's pleasure. 
But in the mission field situation, in 1943, the Japs imprisoned all of the missionary families. And Little was the one who organised chemistry classes for the kids and athletics and games and competitions. And, of course, he was the hero having competed at the the Olympics. And what I'm after in the sovereignty of God, God was in it when Daniel went to Babylon. God was in it when Paul was placed in Caesarea and then later in Rome and, and planted a church in Malta on the way, incidentally. But then I came across the reality that when the communists took over China, they expelled the Mishos, and over 7,000 China inland missionaries went to places like Indonesia, Taiwan, Malaysia, Philippines, and planted churches amongst the Chinese people in those nations, hugely significant in the economy of those countries today. God was at work. But more than that, God was very much able to look after the church in China. And uh, the latest book I've read, published in the last two years, is listing 150 million Christians in China. It's quite amazing. And there were only 868,000 in 1949. So it was really quite an amazing uh, progression of what God did through ordinary people. But I want to just put it together for each of us as we reflect on it. Romans 8 says, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that whatever happens, whether it's my dad's war injury that puts me on the stage or whether it's uh, athletics, which taught me to be disciplined, or whether it's Paul in jail, which seemed to be a disaster when he wanted to go to Spain or Eric Little or the missionaries going from China. In all of those situations, God was at work. And if there's one lesson I would offer to the listeners, it's this. I will thank God whenever something seems to be going wrong, he's going to bring good out of what he's letting happen. And by faith... I'll thank him in advance. Let's take a minute to pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the knowledge that nothing catches you by surprise, that you're wonderfully at work in our world. We pause to pray for Christians around the world who suffer for their faith, and we pray your anointing and your courage and your blessing upon them for each of us as we seek to live out our lives in this fair land, and we thank you for the freedoms that you've granted and the sacrifices that gave it. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will take, and for each of the listeners, let there be a sense of your presence even in this silent moment, to encourage, to give faith that can rise above the hurts, and to give an anointing to their story and their tomorrows as a part of a destiny that changes our world in our lifetime. I pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. This is Sunday Morning Together. Phil's my name. My guest and co-host today has been wonderful to spend some time with Dr. Don Hargrave and hearing his story and uh, just receiving some good stuff from you, Don. So thank you so much for being part of this uh, today. Um, Now, normally this time I'll ask my guest to lead us in a prayer for Australia. Perhaps before I get you to do that, how do you think we ought to approach prayer yeah, praying for our nation and our leaders. and Giving thought to how we pray for our leaders is enormously significant. We are biblically told to do it, even if we don't agree with them. Mm. We need to recognize that God is working in their lives. The upcoming referendum issues are all part of our praying that God will guide and will learn and pray in an informed way in that regard. Uh, Pretty difficult when, you know, if you don't like the leader or you don't like the exactly. party or the government or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, you're right, the scriptures do tell us that we need to pray for them, uphold them. Absolutely. And uh, 
thank God that he's working in their life. I think of one young man I've been very close to that I was praying for over some years. Thank you, Lord, you're working in his life as he broke free from drugs and, and, and such. And so praying for the nation as a whole, I'm praying for a spiritual awakening. Mm. I have followed the awakening at Asbury uh, in February in US, this year. Yeah. Yes. The night before it happened, I was teaching a class on Wesleyan history, and uh, we prayed, Lord, do it again. And that night, it, uh, <laughs> it resumed. It was I don't mean, obviously, we were one of many around the world praying, but yeah. there it was happening. As soon as I saw it was happening, I prayed, Lord, guide the leaders in how to handle it. And they did that well. Mm. Very impressed. Yeah, I thought they did. So when we're praying, we're praying, Lord, for destiny for our nation. This is the Southland of the Holy Spirit. And that's how I'll pray. Well, let's pray. And if you could lead us, that'd be wonderful. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that the events of our journeys are not a surprise to you. That you called and ordained uh, the things that would happen. You knew about the things that uh, would be sad and hard. You are not to be blamed for the bad things that are painful, but you are great enough to bring good out of whatever you permitted, and we celebrate that, and we thank you in advance for the good you're bringing out of the hard times in our lives, and I pray that for the listeners at this moment. Secondly, we are to pray for our leaders. It was uh, 1606, the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate the way in which your Holy Spirit has worked in giving us freedoms that are the envy of most of the world, and we give you glory. And we pray that you'll help us to be diligent in how we handle your money and be good stewards. We pray that you'll help us be faithful, that we can share a testimony without having to use big words and Christian terminology, but we can share the reality of knowing you and loving you and watching you answer prayer. We thank you for the wonderful friends that you've placed into our lives, and we pray that you'll make us a blessing to the people in our journey both our friends and perchance others who are not so friendly. (laughs) Lord, continue to guide and anoint for each of those who are praying this prayer with me. And we pray that you will hasten the day when the Spirit will be poured out afresh on our land, the Southland of the Holy Spirit, and that the awakening we believe for in advance, for which I have lived and dreamed and prayed, will spread around the world in these days. And we offer that prayer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.